Hello and welcome to this podcast, our first podcast in fact from the Southern and Islands region of the Methodist Church's Learning Network. You're listening to John and James and we are Learning and Development Officers in the Southern and Islands region. Say hi James. Hello there everybody. And uh We are recording this podcast to bring you some of the best of the learning uh, that we are discovering at our training events, which are in the current situation, mostly done online. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, James, what have we got uh, for everyone today? Thanks, John. So today we've got Reverend Peter Phillips. He's from Durham University's Centre for Digital Theology. And he's going to be looking at the uh, the state of online worship over across the pandemic. He's got some interesting stats there about what's happened to engagement with online worship. And uh, he ponders what it means to be church at this time. So have a good listen, everybody. Enjoy. I want to kind of share a little bit about, um, well, one of the big issues that's kind of come across for me um, in the last 12 months around worship and church and doing things online um and that's about ecclesiology and then that shifts into um a a little look at um this move from um worship through to discipleship as well although i have to say i think it's one of the more difficult talks because this idea of moving beyond worship just just kind of doesn't work for me um the the title's kind of um, phased me out over the last few days while I've been preparing this because I think, how can you possibly move beyond worship? You know, when worship is coming coming before the living God, um, you don't really want to move beyond that. Um, and so I kind of had some tussles uh, with what's going on there. And kind of what's your ecclesiology? Um, because I think it's really important. And there's been lots and lots of um, discussions in online about um, how whether we should do church online or whether we should do church on site okay online and on site is a good description built up within the disabled church over the last few months and especially by katie tupling in oxford diocese um who's the diocese, diocese of oxford's um disability advisor and katie who's a vicar um kind of is, is kind of sick and tired of this kind of um virtual or online or stuff like that uh, and, and kind of has developed this idea of online or on site uh, which i think is really good because it kind of gives some uh, comparability uh, between the two um, are you because because when we kind of shift around to virtual or in person it's almost as though when you're not when you go online you leave you leave your person yeah so I'm reading this article at the moment on uh, Christianity and I'm having huge problems with it not Christianity it's on the um, it's the Gospel Coalition to put it across it's in an academic journal called Themelios and this guy says when you're a digital, when you, when you're in a digital presence, you are a disembodied soul, okay, and that's complete and utter. I can't say the word. Yeah, it's complete and utter rubbish, rubbish, complete rubbish. So, so you know, I am here, me. I'm now here in my study, um, here and thinking. Look, I can even turn off. I can even. Oh no, I can't because I can't find the um, that's up there. If I change my virtual background and turn my virtual background off. You can see all the horror of my study, you know, the deep, the, the, the dark 
you know, bunker-like reality of it. Um, I'm not a disembodied person. I'm a real person sat here in Durham freezing to death, you know, with my son running around outside because he's about to go off to university again, okay, and driving down to Leicester today, you know, despite all this lockdown stuff. So I'm a real person. You presumably are real people. Hands up if you're an avatar. Well, Martin Borges is an avatar because he's not moved and we can see all of that. You know, he's turned his camera off because he doesn't want to be recorded or something. But the rest of you are all on and you can wave at me and say hello and... You're going to wave, go on, show me that you're real people, you see? So this idea that we're disembodied souls when we come on to digitality is completely an utter nonsense. And that's really important when we're coming to do online worship, because that means we're not connecting with um, disembodied souls. We're dealing with real people, real people who may be mourning those who have died uh, through this COVID pandemic. Yeah, people who are completely and utterly, um, you know, off their trolleys because they are anxious about lockdown and not seeing anybody. People who are worried about their kids running in because they're trying to look after them and, and become teachers all of a sudden. Uh, people who simply don't know what they're going to do. People who are terrified um, about catching this virus. Or people who are so blasé that they can't understand why we're just not just getting on with it and going for herd immunity and killing 220,000 people. So, so lots of different things about what's going on when we come to, um, sorry, we've gone too far, uh, when we come to this. And we need to be very, very careful about that. Uh, we need to think about what's happening and what people are going through because they are real people. But also it's about our ecclesiology as well. And... <clears throat> One of, one of the big problems we have when people argue with us about whether we want to do uh, worship online or worship in church or we should do communion online or communion only in a church is all to do with our ecclesiology and what we think the church is really all about. Now, I'm an advocate of online communion, um, though the Methodist Church, of course, at the moment says thou shalt not and therefore I have not. Um, but, but 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 I think it's absolutely crazy that a year into this pandemic now, uh, that we have not made a shift uh, towards online providing online communion. I am fed up pastorally um, with the Methodist Church because we have allowed so many people to die without receiving the sacrament, yeah, without receiving bread and wine, which is the most important act of worship uh, that we have in the church. It's the thing that Jesus says you must do this. You must eat the bread and drink the wine um, because otherwise you will not have life within you for the church for the methodist church to abrogate its responsibility around worship and about communion in this in this way i think is intolerable um and uh, you know i've made my point quite clearly and i'm sorry to make it even more strongly uh, today um but the church is the church is really spiritually um deficient in not in not sorting that out but it's about our ecclesiology again it's all about what do we think we're doing when we're doing things online. And I've put up a few place, things here. The church is a place, or, or thin places I'll talk about as well. The church is temple, the church is ark, the church is body, the church is community. And you'll recognise different kind of um, models there in... Oh, I don't know why it's done to that. Thank you very much. Um, what's your ecclesiology? Go, go, go back to some more words here. Um, first of all, the church is a place. And I do wonder whether we need to rethink about what we're doing about the church as place, um, because surely we believe in an, in an idea that God appears 
engages with us wherever we are. He's not limited to engaging with us simply because we live, we're, we're worshipping him in a church building. So doesn't the temple of uh, the, the tearing of the temple veil at the end of the Gospels, you know, after Jesus uh, being crucified and has died, doesn't that destroy the sense of one place to worship God? That God burst out of the temple and said, now I am here in the whole world. I, I kind of, you know, come out and I, I invade the world with my presence. Doesn't the plurality of churches question this role of one place to worship? You know, Israel wanted to confine worship to the temple. Um, but even, even Israel had the synagogues or gathering places. Um, now, they weren't buildings in Jesus' time. We have very little archaeological evidence whatsoever for synagogues in the first century Palestine. And so it's quite likely that those synagogues were gathering places at the heart of the village, under a tree, um, you know, or, or, or in the, a courtyard dwelling or something like that. So, so the possibility that, the, that there isn't one place for worship but instead this kind of multiplicity of places where God engages with us. And if you know your Old Testament, of course, you know that those places, I'll probably say this again later, those places could be anywhere, couldn't they? A burning bush, you know, the ark itself, you know, um, J Jacob lying down at Peniel with his head on a, on a, on a boulder. Yeah, the sense of wherever we are, God meets with us. Elijah, depressed after what had happened on that mountain, kind of goes back into that and is fed by the ravens, by God providing for him in his depression. God meets us where we are. That's the big thing. And, and, and therefore, this idea that um, if the church is just limited to place, if we have to go to a place to meet with God, then I think that's just, it's just not what God does. God doesn't say, go to the temple and I'll meet you there. God says, I'll come, I'll knock, I knock at the door and whoever invites me in, I will sup with them. Yep, I'll spend time with them. So I think we've got to be very careful about this church's place or even church, its temple as well. I do prefer the idea of church's thin place, I'll come back to that in a minute. But also the church is the ark, a place of security, gathering, salvation. Um, the Catholic Church believes in, you know, uh, no salvation except in the church. Yeah. Um, this idea that it's only those on the ark who are going to get saved and everybody else is going to be burnt, uh, drowned or I was going to say burnt in hell or whatever. Um, but this kind of sense of that, too, is difficult ecclesiology for us because Jesus himself said he has sheep of other folds. Yep, we cannot say that this, this our church, is the only place that, where salvation is going to be. It's a great place to find Jesus, but it's not an exclusive place to find him. God is at work in our world beyond um, the church, beyond the walls of the church. And of course, church's body, Paul's image of parts of the body, John's image of the vine, that's really crucial. I'll come back and tease some of these out. Uh, this is the article I'm struggling with at the moment, Ronald Giza's Themelius article, 45.2, but I quote something he says here, the local church is people, not a building. And perhaps for us in Methodism, that's absolutely essential um, to what we believe. We're not Calvinists or Arminians. 
Yeah, we believe in the prevenient grace of God, God who comes to us wherever we are, God who jumps on board our engagement, what we want to do, uh, what, what we're doing and comes and joins us. And indeed, we are then called to go and join God in what he's doing in his, mis in his mission. Um, so I've talked a lot about uh, what's already on here because I want to kind of, but, but let me kind of go to that final point on the, the third point there. Church is where God lives. Yashav, uh, or, or in then that's the Hebrew in Greek, or Kaeo, or Nio. Um, we believe that church is where God lives, um, where God makes his presence known. Nio is the word for uh, a Greek word that's linked to Nios, which is where Paul talks about the temple of God. Yeah, we are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory from Colossians. This sense that here is where God makes his presence, makes his dwelling. Um, Jesus became that focus for us in John's gospel. And then we too, Paul says, become the dwelling place of God because we invite him in and he makes his home within our lives, within our hearts. But it's not just us. We're not just individuals. We, we as a church are the, the dwelling of God, the dwelling place of God. We corporate people interconnected with one another make up the dwelling place because we become the body of Christ with Christ as the head. So imagine that, that we gathered here because Sam led us in that great worship before. We, we have invited God into this presence. We, he is here with us. We as individual um, people who are indwelt by the presence of God also as a community become the dwelling place of God as well. So this is the place to worship. This is the place um, to have communion. This is the place uh, to give glory to God. And of course, in John 4, where Jesus had the sacrament, he blew this whole, day, whole idea of focusing upon one place or specific places apart. Um, Sir, I can see your prophet, says the woman. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, you Jews, came the place where we must be worshippers in Jerusalem and Jesus replied woman believe me a time's coming when you'll worship the father neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem places don't matter you Samaritans worship what you do not know we worship what we do know question what Jesus is saying for salvation is from the Jews yet a time is coming and now has now come when true worshippers will worship the father in spirit and in truth okay that our focus will not be on places but will be upon God himself in this truth, in spiritual truth, for they're the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must spirit, must worship in the spirit and in truth. Yeah, or in the true spirit, uh, however you want to translate that. So Jesus replaces this idea of place into focus and intentionality. Who are you focusing upon? What's your intention at this time? Where where are you putting, um, where which basket are you putting your eggs in, as it were? Yeah. How are you focusing upon all of this? So we've talked about, um, uh, I might kind of shift over this, but, but um, we've talked about moving beyond worship, but we also need to kind of think theologically about whether God himself can move beyond worship, uh, whether he can move, sorry, beyond this, 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 this link to physicality. Because some people in the arguments kind of want to say, hey, hold on a minute, Jesus was incarnate, he was a physical person, and therefore we need to always make sure that we can only have physical worship. 
Well, we've already talked about how being online doesn't stop you from being physical. But but do think as well about the spiritual aspect of the of the word incarnate. Think about how the second person, the Trinity, is both incarnate, en sarkos is the Greek phrase there, but also was not incarnate before he became incarnate. Do you get it? He was a sarkos, he was out without flesh. If he became flesh, he was before that without flesh. And so you've got to remember the, the second person, the Trinity, has this kind of dual identity around being fully God and fully man at the same time. And that we've got to remember that he kind of has this kind of duality about his physical presence and his um, spiritual presence as well. So there's this sense of the, 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 the perichoresis or the interpenetration of the divine in, 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 in our own human identity, in Christ's identity. A bit like Schrodinger's cat, I've suggested, uh, Schrodinger Christology, perhaps. He is both physical and not physical. What would that mean? What does that mean about our own identity? And I do think um, that does help us query whether we too um, have a sense of being beyond physical, that it's possible for us to think that we are more than physical in the way that God has made us, the way that he has pushed us towards himself, the way that he says he can live within us, that we too have a kind of mixture of materiality and spirituality. Uh, what does that mean? I could talk about this for ages, so I must stop doing this bit. I must move on to discipleship because that's what I'm supposed to be saying. Um, but what would Jesus do in this area? I, I wonder what Jesus would do um, if he was kind of living in the 21st century um, or if he was living in 2021. Uh, what would he have done about worship and digitality? I wonder whether he would have closed all the churches last night, whereas Boris left them open rather strangely. I wonder whether we should be identifying with everybody else um, who is locked in their homes and therefore invading people's homes rather than inviting them into what might be a super spreader activity of Sunday worship. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus identify with the people today and how would he lead them in worship, in spirit and in truth? Well, I think actually one of the things that Jesus did was to kind of journey with people and he did, he did do this kind of shift that James is talking about, a shift from, um, disciple, from, from worship through to discipleship, that he, he journeyed with the disciples for three years. And you know, God forbid that this lockdown will last for three years. But the sense of how are we journeying with people through this time, how are we engaging with them in their worship and in their nurture and in their pastoral care and their mental health? At the end of John Matthew's Gospel, um, when, just before uh, Jesus ascends, he, he gives them the kind of great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And for me, there are two parts to this. First of all, he's telling us to get out there and go to the people, go where the people are. 
This sense of us invading other people's spaces, this sense of going to the nations, uh, pushing out and being missional uh, and getting on with that. How do we connect with people around us when they're locked away? Um, how do we engage with them uh, through their windows or, you know, um, uh, th through their letterboxes or through YouTube or Facebook and so on? But at the same time, he gives us this kind of very strange thing to say in, in, into the world, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptising isn't a common thing to do. It's a strange Christian act. Yeah, it's, it's dunking people in water or splashing them with a bit of water, whichever you really want to do. Dunking is better. Um, the sign of dying to the old life and being raised to the new this sense of immersion um, in death, only then to be brought up. In a way, we're all going through that, that baptism in, in the lockdown. It's an immersion into solitude to hopefully to be raised again into renewal of community. Um, really interesting kind of concepts we can play around with at the moment. But also in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we're asking people to come on a journey with this Trinitarian God who manifests himself through three persons um, with different aspects to their identity, uh, but all the same identity at the same time. So go out there, be missional, engage with people, but take the Trinity with you. Take God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit with you as well and, and immerse people into that new identity. You know, um, we've got a fantastic opportunity right now to do just that. Um, here's some kind of um, figures around that. Um, we think that about a third of all churchgoers stopped going to church at the beginning of the, lock the first lockdown, you know, ages ago. Um, and there are early rumours of increasingly large online figures, tier funds, vantage figures, but 24% are engaged, of the whole population were engaged in online worship in the first lockdown. Normal attendance is about 5%, so 4, mil 4 million drops uh, a third to 2.65 million, we thought, we think. Um, but Tier Fund in the Savannah Comrades suggests that 15.6 million people in our country were engaging in online worship in the first lockdown. We did one at Durham University in the uh, open summer period. The figures there were 28%, potentially 18.2 million or 15.6 million new engagements with, with, with online worship. So what we're doing with when we put worship online is we're being missional. We're going out there to connect with a whole new bunch of people who are kind of peeping in and they use the phrase that they're sitting on a comfortable pew behind the back pew or a comfortable sofa behind the back pew. We're providing them with a front view seat, a, a kind of um, an open door to the church to see what we get up to. You know, that's just live streaming. When you get Sam's brilliant videos, they're actually able to engage in crafts and everything as well. Yeah. When we get all the kind of worship that Sam was saying, we're getting they're getting rich, rich, um, rich engagement, rich material with which to worship God. The rise from pre-COVID to, to during COVID engagement with the world, with, with Britain is at 455 percent. Yeah, 455% potential increase in church numbers. Now, loads of people will poo-poo those numbers and say, ah, well, you count this and count that and count that. This is an opinion poll where people have offered their own view of what they're doing. And it may be aspirational, but isn't that fantastic that people 
have aspire to come to worship. Uh, let's provide them with some worship that really is there. But it's not just about that. It's uh, they are from physical to digital, four million to four fifteen point six, from the pew to the sofa. Um, it's it's not. It's just not aspirational. It's actually really important what we do when we take them online. So here's another question we asked at Durham about people's online faith-related activities. And we said to them, do you pray online? Do you meditate online? Do you worship online? Do you explore nature online? Do you do choirs online? Do you do yoga online? And loads of people are doing lots of different things um, online. Online faith-related activity is very, very high. You look at that worship, uh, especially among the younger, younger generations, uh, among the young adults, uh, 48 or 45 percent and you know those figures are unbelievably high unbelievably high the the idea that half of the population under the age of 35 are engaging in online worship just seems too many to be believed and I put this to some data scientists here at Durham University, secular guys and girls um, who are on a course and they came back to me and said excuse me, but your data is saying this and data is king. Just because you don't believe it, perhaps you need to change your mind rather than change the data. Because if this is what they're saying, that's really, really important. And the fact that because it's so um, countercultural to say they want to engage with worship, perhaps it's not aspiration at all, but it's actually really good that almost half of the population under 35 are aspiring to engage with worship. What we're doing when we engage with online worship, when we do worship online, when we provide all these resources for people, is offering a missional opportunity for almost half the population under the age of 35 to engage with what God's up to in the wild. Yeah? You're simply drawing attention to what God's doing and then allowing God to engage with these people and to begin a journey with them. It's absolutely fantastic. Notice, if you make use of nature, you're going to pull even more people in because people love uh, thinking about nature. They love country file and spring watch and what have you. And the sense of meditating on nature and bringing God and nature together. Yep. Um, so that's going to be even bigger, the sense of going for a walk in the woods and talking about prayer um, connects lots of different things that are happening within our contemporary society. Um, I'm just going to shoot on here. Wesley, I had to bring him in, didn't I? The church changes the world not by making converts, but by making disciples. It's really important that we don't just think of converting people and saying, you know, turn or burn. Yeah, repent or be sent, or all those other things. But actually saying, just go on a journey. Let's see what, what God wants to do in your life. Uh, let's allow God to interact with you, uh, because that's the most crucial thing, that long-term development of somebody's identity um, as they walk hand in hand with God through the rest of their lives. And the really great thing is that digital ministry has worked so well across the world. Using the tools of the contemporary age to empower contemporary people to follow Christ, to do good works, to be holy. 
Yeah, the sense of discipleship, to follow Christ, to do good works, to be holy from the American Methodism. So Alpha Online, both in Africa and the UK, has got more candidates to do courses than they can hold. Yeah, it's absolutely huge. Been speaking to the Kingston Agango, who is the head of ministry uh, for for Africa, um, for Alpha, uh, and you know, regularly kind of saying that they're they're just overwhelmed with the number of people who suddenly want to come on board because they've got time to think about the things of the deep deeper things of life and want to engage in what that's all about. If you've not done a prayer meeting yet online, do so. You know, Tim Kelly, who's the vicar at um, Beverly up here in the north, um, again, up here in the north, um, you know, he, I was having a chat with him about his MA supervision, the MA supervision I'm doing with him. And, uh, and I said to Tim, so Tim, how many people did you get uh, at morning prayer before the lockdown? Oh, he said, you know, no one. I was sat in, sat in the minister by myself every morning. I said, okay, so now you're doing it every morning online. How many people do you get? Oh, over 50 every single day. The sense of people praying daily prayers with people. Simply, you know, when you come to do your devotions in the morning, put it on Facebook Live. Share it. Talk about it. Uh, watch Miranda uh, Threlfall Holmes over at St Bride's in Liverpool. Who does it fantastically. She's got a whole ritual. I remember it from the beginning of thinking when, uh, from the beginning of lockdown, where um, Facebook Live allows you to kind of type in comments and those comments gradually rise up through the screen um, as other people add them and then people can press like buttons and what have you and and little hearts got the screen as well because it's like incense and prayers wafting up to god it's a glorious ritual yep but it's simple as anything it's simply miranda sat in her study reading the prayers yep how could we leave people out if you want a methodist example go and see nell shallow on facebook um, see what Nell's doing up in Grantham and the fantastic work she's doing around Agapes and so on. Uh, but also put a prayer course on. Uh, um, um, the 24-7 prayer, have got a tool shed where they've got loads of resources. And you can have Pete Gregg teaching you about 24-7 prayer or Pete Gregg talking about contemplative prayer and so on. We did one with the church that we attend um, online. Um, over the summer, and we kind of went through a whole 12-week prayer course, and then we then went on to contemplative prayer after that and so on, and a prophetic prayer group, and it's absolutely fantastic. Um, but church prayer has really taken off during the lockdown because people don't have to kind of come out of their houses anymore in the evening. They can simply click online on Zoom and join people in prayer. And you can push people into breakout groups and help them to learn how to pray with one another. So Facebook Live for daily offices as well. Um, perhaps you don't do Compline as much in the Methodist church, but why not? You know, giving people a, a routine of prayer through their day. What if you could find three people at your church to pray morning, midday and evening? Yep. And that provides structure for people who are going through this horrible lockdown. You know, I, I find the second lockdown bad enough. We've been locked down here in kind of tier four for, for ages and ages and ages in the north. And I find it so bad because the first lockdown was a bit kind of, it was novelty value, wasn't it? You know, new things to do, new things to do. Oh, we're going to get through this. And then lockdown after lockdown after lockdown up here in the northeast and, and kind of thinking, what structure can we put in? How can we help people to pattern their days? Um, through, could we do that through prayer? 
Zoom Bible studies, again, a great way to engage, or coffee mornings or pastoral care and so on. Um, lots and lots of ways in which we can develop discipleship in, in different ways. Um, we've produced this little book, um, James was showing you off before, um, a Tinoini book. It's um, by um, two Methodists, myself and Joanne Cox Darling, um, but also an, an Anglican, uh, Bryony uh, Taylor, um, and also um, Matthew Pulis, who's a Catholic priest. And it's just a short book available from Grove, book, Grove Books uh, for three ninety five. This is what I say in, I think it's the final chapter. We've seen that this church without walls is a church of many faces, of choirs and music groups, of impromptu readers and people leading prayers, of those from BAME communities, of those doing all age crafts, of key workers and COVID-19 volunteers. This is a church with a housebound a welcome. The disabled can play a full part and those in care homes are included. A church with a human face, even when that's a blackboard and table at the end of the garden path. I'm trying to pull together here the very fact that church without walls, this sense of creating church online for people, provides a massive missional discipleship opportunity for us. This is a fantastic time for the church to reinvent itself, to remodel itself on New Testament terms, and to say, actually, we're not just here to do fundraising for our building. We're not just here to run coffee mornings or something. We are here to share God with you because we think that's the most important thing that we can possibly have to share with you. We want to introduce you to him and to allow you space to engage with him in lots of different ways. Matthew Pulis and his Catholic priest in Malta walk from their church into the local village and then they do the rosary in the middle of the village, in the in the middle in the village square, with people out on their verandas and balconies. They can do that in Malta; it's warm. Um, and and the young people, uh, they then they they film this at the same time. And young people in that village and surrounding village will sit with their grandparents and everything, and open up the service online so they can read the rosary together. Yep. And this sense of community engagement, of walking together with people, with one another it, through, through the darkness is a really, really powerful picture um, that I got from that book. The wonderful thing is that all the people I contacted to write in that book are really digital people. But what they were doing is using physical reality, physical engagement uh, often in order to enhance what they were doing digitally. It's mixing online worship with phone sermons, with sending out uh, printed copies of the order, uh, by sending letters to people, by walking into the village square or walking through the community and doing prayer walks and everything. What we need is this sense of uh, a hybrid church, which is the best of both worlds which merges together both digital and physical to share the good news of God and to make discipleship the core of what we're doing, to invite other people with us on that journey. That was the Reverend Dr Pete Phillips from the Codex Centre for Digital Theology at Durham University. 
If you'd like to hear more about online worship, do come along to our next forum, which is on the 2nd of March from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. in the morning. Visit our blog at www.learningnetsi.org.uk forward slash events to find out more. We've been John and James from the Learning Network's Southern and Islands region. We would love to get in touch with you. And the best way to do that is to visit our blog, learningnetsi.org.uk. That's learningnetsi.org.uk. On there, you'll find the latest news from our blog, the latest podcast episode, tons of resources and lists of all the events coming up in the coming weeks. Wherever you are, thanks for listening and have a good day.